Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. I would say there's a lot of fun ahead. There's so much excitement ahead. It's an adventure. People say life is short, but it's actually, you know, it's actually long. And I think in that chapter of my life, it, it did feel, it did feel long. Today, I'm talking to Callum Thomas co-founder and CEO of Thomas Thor Associates, providing recruitment and executive search and consulting services to the global nuclear industry and also to major infrastructure projects. Callum is also chairman of Keysource Global. And Callum also is the co-founder with Monica Mwangi of the initiative Inclusion and Diversity in Nuclear, which aims to support and enable the industry to achieve their diversity and inclusion targets within their teams. And I chatted to Monica in episode 21 of the podcast, if you want to listen back. Callum lives in Amsterdam with his wife, Analia, and first baby in two months time. And in his spare time, what he has of it, he likes to run, cycle and swim as part of triathlons, he enjoys traveling and is learning languages as well. Callum, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Andrew. Nice to speak to you. So Callum, you grew up in a little village just near Milton Keynes in Buckinghamshire. Tell us a little bit about what you were like as a lad. Okay, well, I was, I actually was spent the first six years of my life down in near Brighton by the sea. So my first memories are uh, going to the beach. Uh, but then when we were six or seven, my dad started a, a small company up in Milton Keynes. So we all moved up there. So um, I mean, I had, I had two brothers. So most of my childhood was spent fighting with them. Uh, that was our main, our main activity. But I, you know, I realize now actually, how fortunate I was to have, you know, we had, we had a great family, even though I didn't like my brothers at the time, we, we are very good friends now, but we had a great, you know, I have a great experience of, of family and we, um, you know, we, we had a really uh, healthy family environment. So it was, uh, our grandparents were close by. And uh, uh, I remember one of my first memories is when I was seven, my dad started his company. I think the deal he did with my mum was, he could work on Saturdays if he took us with him. So my brothers and I often got taken to the office uh, uh, while he was working on Saturdays and sometimes Sundays. And so I think that's why I started my company. I think I knew it at that point. So uh, yeah, I realized that now, you know, it was a, it was a comfortable, privileged um, childhood and really happy memories. So tell us about, about school a little bit. What were the sort of things that you were enjoying at school or maybe you weren't enjoying at school? Yeah, I was, um, I mean, I, 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 when I was much younger, I think I was, I was pretty good at maths and that was a big source of confidence for me, but I wasn't very good at sport really. I, I could do everything just about all right, but not good enough to get in the team. So I wasn't, I wasn't embarrassingly bad, but I was never good enough to get in the, in the school team. So running was the only kind of thing that I kind of was semi-decent at, cross, like, you know, cross-country running. So I did, I did a bit of that. I think I, going to university was 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 good it was a new new group of people and it was um you know it's just very exciting and 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 um you know it's just and i think i've, I've got the same friends now that i 
had when I was some of them when I was seven or eight years old. So we've we've kind of keeping the same friends and and making the effort to stay in touch with them. But then you make new friends, and then you just sort of add rather than changing friend groups, adding to them. And I think that's that always gave me confidence because I kind of built. I feel like I've built like a really nice group of friends throughout my life, and and we're still you know we're still close. Um, and then when I started work, it was it, I worked in an environment um, where. There was a lot of, you know, it was quite a high risk environment, if you like, because it was, it was, there was a lot of targets and a lot of pressure. Um, but, you know, but it, it, and hitting those targets and coping with that pressure gave me confidence as well. So it did take me a bit of time to get my confidence back. But I think I was very confident until about 13 and then not confident at all until about 17, 18. And then it kind of started to come back uh, through university. And then when I started my uh, career. I think that'll really encourage people, actually, because to see, you know, when people look at people like yourself, you know, they see somebody who's, you know, running their own company, living in Amsterdam, everything's going really well, seeming, you know, very self-confident, comfortable in your own skin and, and all of those sorts of things. But it's a journey. It's a journey, isn't it? So um, so let's talk a little bit about university. So you, you went to Bournemouth uh, University and you studied financial services. Do you thought you'd go into the city or what was behind that sort of decision? Well, I, you know, I, I basically wanted to do a business degree, business and economics. And um, I, I I probably didn't do as well in my levels as I as I wanted to, mainly because I think I was lacking confidence and I was just generally focusing on other things in life, like trying to make friends and and uh, get on. And and so I didn't get enough points to get onto the business studies course. So they but they offered me to put me on um, financial services, which is actually business studies with a kind of a financial bias. Uh, so it has a bit more about financial markets, a bit more about regulation, a bit more, a bit more accounting. Um, but it also had marketing and human resources and business strategy. So it was a general business degree with a focus on, on finance. But yeah, I ended up in it because it was, uh, yeah, that was what I was offered in, in clearing. Did you find you really uh, enjoyed the course? I did actually, yeah, I did. Um, and actually there was a bit more trauma at university as well because I got meningitis in my second year. And was in the. I made the local paper with the severity, and I, it was one of only two cases in the whole of Bournemouth University. But um, anyway, so I, I survived. But then that that um, and that was quite a, quite a, a defining moment, I think, because uh, it really made me value health and well-being. And I, I ran the London Marathon for the meningitis for a meningitis charity the year after, and I haven't stopped running since, basically. So uh, um, so I yeah so I. You know, it's um, I, I I really enjoyed it. I did enjoy the course, and and but especially kind of like the last year, I really buckled down and got the two one that I needed to kind of launch me into my career. But it was a great social experience as well. It was great fun. And and during that university time, what do you think you sort of discovered about yourself and your character and your personality that you didn't know before? I think I knew I wanted to start my own company uh, from when I was very young, but I didn't know what in. So actually when I went to university, I had no idea what kind of career I'd go into, but I did know I didn't want to go into finance because we, uh, part of my course was doing a year in industry, a uh, placement year, and everyone went off to work in insurance companies and banks. And it was just, it looked really boring to me. So 
I, I went to work for a TV company, uh, G, GM TV, Good Morning TV back then. It doesn't exist now, but it was on like ITV in the morning every day. And I worked in their finance department for a year. Um, so I really didn't know what I wanted to, what I wanted to do at university was I wanted to, I wanted to make friends and, and um, you know, I, I knew I, I, I knew I wanted to start my company. I guess I was searching on where, where I'd go with my career. I really didn't know. I really didn't know until the end of my course. I, I wasn't worried about it necessarily, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. What were your sort of ideas about what to do next? Because presumably, did you feel that you weren't ready to start a company straight away, but you needed to gain some experience? I, I mean, I, I really fell into the job that I ended up in for 10 years straight after university. And a friend of mine, uh, he, he had a new girlfriend and his new girlfriend was working in, in the recruiting industry. And, and, and I met them and she was telling me what it's like. And I was just thinking, I like that. I like that. I like that. So, so it was very sociable environment. It was all about people um building relationships and managing people with lots of variety fast-paced um quite an accelerated career path because if you if you know if it, if it goes well you can move up quite quickly um but there's a bit of risk in there and that's kind of me I, I guess I was willing to take that bit of risk at the beginning but working with people and being surrounded by um you know motivated energetic smart people was exactly what I wanted to do so you did, you joined S3 and you were there for 10 years. So tell us about some of the, you know, maybe one or two of the high points that you had during that time. So I went, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I started in, it was quite a pressured environment, lots of targets, etc. Um, but I managed to succeed uh, in the first year or two. And that gave me a lot of, a lot of confidence. Um, and then I was assigned to go and open a new office in Nottingham. Uh, just just after the the uh, 9/11 uh, events in the US, and and then obviously the economy went downhill, and also there was the dot com bubble that burst as well. So so we we were myself and a couple of others were sent to Nottingham to start an office uh, amidst an absolute economic disaster, <laughs> uh, and it was hard. But then we came through, and actually they, the others ended up leaving, but I ended up staying and building it, and it became a really successful business. So that was my first experience of starting a company um and and it and it kind of went well so that was you know that was huge and, and what what were the particular challenges i guess you're starting from sort of grassroots almost you you walk into an office or something that maybe you've hired and it's like right what we're we going to do it's like first day of the job how did you sort of approach that moment because it's i guess everyone's looking at you for some ideas and strategy and planning and yeah, it, I mean, I by, when I by the time I'd gone to open the business in Nottingham, I'd already had a bit of experience. So I, you know, I, I was always for me, it was always about leading by example. I was, I I wouldn't ask someone to do something without demonstrating it or doing it my, myself. So I built a team around me on that on that basis. I think, and you know, it wasn't it's not rocket science. We needed to find organisations that were looking to hire, and we needed to convince them that we were the right partner to help them do it. So. It was all about, you know, relationship building and saying the right things and then delivering on promises made and then helping other people to deliver on the promises that, that they made. And it just sort of happened gradually, you know, at the time, you didn't, you didn't really notice it growing, but it was, you know, it, but it was, it grew quite quickly over the course of a couple of years. And did you find that, you know, your sort of personality and character was the sort of person who can engage easily with with other people, you know, for the first time and build that sort of 
relationship that you you needed to do and how did you do that yeah i mean i that, and that's something i i really enjoy that and i i always have and and i um and i and i still do now i i love meeting people and and that's in and representing whatever you know organization i'm i'm su- supporting or representing or or uh um and and basically winning people's trust and respect and you know and, and getting them onto a journey to do whatever we need to do it's it's always been uh, a, a big passion of mine and i guess it's a you know it's a it's a bit it's a bit like a game isn't it when you meet someone for the first time maybe they have a perception or a preconception and uh, and in the industry i was in in recruiting that you know that a lot of people think recruiters are, are, are not professional or not good and there's you know, and so that you, you don't sometimes you can get the benefit of the doubt. So it was what gave me a lot of pleasure was going in and, and people actually saying, actually, you're, you're actually different. You do care and you do deliver on the promise you made. And actually, yeah, you're different because everyone, everyone says there, everyone makes promises. The, the words are easy, right? And it's the actions that are, are, are harder. And I, and that's why I focused on is making promises that I knew I could deliver on or, or over deliver on and then doing that again and again. That's, that's great advice because, I mean, I always think that sort of ability to build relationships in whatever job you're in, be it, you know, in finance or um, in procurement or project management or technical or whatever, the ability to build those relationships, you know, really stands you in good stead in your whole career. And I'm sort of, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know if this is the case or not, but some of the people that you built relationships, you know, at that time, either inside um, you know, the, the S3 or even outside are still people that you can pick up the phone to today. Yeah. And, and some of my best friends were from that 10 years. And some of them work with me now in, in my company now have moved over to work with us. So, yeah, for sure. Exactly. It's really interesting. Somebody sent me a, a sort of company organizational chart the other day. They were just retiring and they'd been clearing out their stuff. And this was a chart from 30 years ago this month. And, and, and there was my name right right at the bottom of this sort of family tree thing. But what really interested me, in the team of uh, five of us, I'd spoken to two of them that week. One of them I'm working really closely with still. And then our, our paths have sort of gone apart and come back together. Uh, and one of them, you know, I'd commented on a, on a post on Facebook or something that week. So three out of the five, you know. And you're absolutely right. Those those relationships, if they're ones of trust, openness, almost friendship, but you know, on a sort of professional level, I guess, they do last. You know, your career, um, and it's a good lesson to realise in the early stages of your career, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I think it goes. It's, for me, it's gone. I feel it's gone through all, all the way through my life. So uh, I I feel like I've gathered a, 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 a few extra friends. Uh, each year really and some of them come from school some from working together some from um you know friends of friends you know and then it just grows over over time isn't it it does so anyway so you came to the sort of end of these sort of 10 years and you then thought now is the time to start my my company what was what was your thinking there because I, I suppose the there's a risk side to this and then there's also an opportunity side to this sort of decision isn't it the risk is you're probably leaving something which is stable reliable you know the people you know the environment and you're moving into something which is great opportunity but you're jeopardizing all of the previous stuff so tell us about that sort of decision how did you come to it and what did you do 
But I, I mean, I think I was quite unusual amongst my friends for staying in the same job for 10 years. Um, but actually, when you look at it, it was, uh, I probably changed jobs at least every two years within the company. So it was, there was, it, it was, it was always changed. And I do think sometimes changing job could mean staying with the same employer or it could mean going to a different employer. I, I, I think, you know, progression can happen either way. And I think, um, people talk about how younger people now, they don't sit still and they, and they move jobs too often. I, I don't agree with that at all. I, I think that there's, I think there's less loyalty actually. Um, uh, on both sides, I think employers also would would take a view on an employee for their whole career before, and now now they don't. So employers are, and, and and also people have more opportunity, more access to opportunity and visibility of opportunity, so move more. But I really don't don't see. I mean, I work in recruitment, and I, I think if someone's moved job every year, then of course you have to kind of wonder, you know, are, are they going to settle in this new job for more than a year? But if someone's moved job every every kind of two or three years, and it's a natural progression. Then I think you know. To me, I think that's that's fine. Um, but I so I'd stayed for, for ten years. I'd done four startups for for my for this company, and then I was ready to do it alone. So it felt like a ten year kind of management apprenticeship on 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 uh, starting a company. So it was definitely time to to go. And uh, uh, so I, I I left and spent a bit of time writing a business plan, and then got cracking. And how did you decide on the sort of area of focus? Because you've sort of focused on the nuclear sector, really, haven't you? What what drove that decision? Well, I wanted to I wanted to work in an industry that was doing something good for the world, and I was looking at clean energy, um, and nuclear just fit, fitted all the criteria I was looking at. Like it's, I wanted it to be an industry that's truly global, um, so that there was room to grow internationally. Because I've always been interested in working internationally. I wanted an industry that thought long term. Um, I have friends that worked in uh, industries like finance and IT, and it's, it's quite volatile. So things can go brilliantly, but then there's a big, you know, it, it, it can be quite abrupt sometimes, the changes. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a bit of kind of consistency in, in the industry? So I wanted something that was, had stability and long-term thinking um, and was professional. Um, and, and nuclear just ticked all those boxes. You know, it's producing low-carbon electricity. Um, it's really global, very collaborative, and it's full of intelligent people with high integrity. And, and that's just great. And that was something I didn't realize before coming into the industry, actually. It was um, in, in doing my business plan, I spoke to people in the industry and I was trying to find out, is there a specialized recruiter and exec search company in the world focused on nuclear? And there wasn't. There were people doing it, but there was no one just focused on nuclear. So I know I, I kind of spot that as an opportunity, but but how, how um, interesting and collaborative the people were in the industry i didn't learn that until after I, I joined and that's been you know for me a massive highlight of the last 11 years and i've built some new you know new friends mm, absolutely and, and and before you sort of got into the nuclear thing what was your sort of personal perspective on nuclear because i know you know i've worked in nuclear for a long time now and i always know that if you're chatting to someone at a party or in the park or wherever and they say what do you do and you say i work for you know, UK AEA or National Nuclear Laboratory or whatever it is, you know there's a conversation coming and usually you know the direction that it's going to go in. Was Would you have had a similar sort of perspective before you got involved? Honestly, I didn't, honestly, I didn't know much about, I mean, I, about the industry. I, I, would have, I would have considered myself someone with a good general understanding of the big industries. Um, but if you'd have asked me how much of the UK's electricity, for example, comes from nuclear, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. And uh, and so, you know, 
what I noticed was it didn't take long to learn the basics. Um, and then the detailed knowledge has come, come after that. But uh, so I really didn't know that much. Um, I was neither really anti-nuclear nor pro. I just didn't really have, an, have an, an, an opinion. I didn't really have the information. I hadn't really taken the stance. And it, it just shows me how sometimes we assume in the industry that people know, and a lot of people don't know. And I mean, in my job, we're often recruiting people from other industries and, and bringing them into nuclear. And people love when they hear about the opportunities going on in the, the environment and the, the career opportunities, but they just, they don't know about them. And these are people that work in other, you know, regulated industries, complex engineering, safety culture, like rail and um, petrochemical and oil and gas. The, the vast majority have no idea about what it's, what it's like in the nuclear industry or what's going on and what the career opportunities are. Yeah. And what were the sorts of... Um early uh, positions you were filling what sort of roles were they were they executive roles or or what were they at the beginning it was more we were focusing on the 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 roles where there are skill shortages so it was around um, inc it was around safety cases um, project management project controls those kind of areas and after a couple of years we set up our executive arm of the business and then started focusing on the more senior uh, and because we only recruit for the nuclear industry, we are now quite broad from kind of the technical roles, commercial, um, right through into management across the whole life cycle uh, within nuclear and internationally. So it's kind of grown, but it starts off with those, I guess those, the real challenges, the areas where, where it's really hard to find people. That's where we started. Yeah, yeah. So give, give us an example of, of something that was maybe a, a role that you thought is there somebody out there in the world that can actually do this because I can't find them or something like that yeah there was there was one where we were looking for someone with, with lead bismuth experience probably you know about the terminology and it was it was a it was basically for it was for a research organization and they needed an expert on this very particular nuclear technology that involved lead and what we found was one of the only places we used is on nuclear submarines in Russia and so, and, and that wasn't that easy to bring someone from Russia to Belgium at that point. Um, so, but we, you know, but then we put, there are people out there we, and we end up buying people. So it's actually some of the most unusual skill sets actually are the easiest ones to find because those people, they've written papers or they've been interviewed or they, you know, they're out there. Sometimes the hardest jobs to find might be a program manager because there's a lot of program managers and the, what makes a good program manager is not necessarily the, 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 their, their accreditations or their experience, but it's their attributes, um, their personality and their, their, their personal attributes. And so those, those are actually harder. So the, the, the really obscure ones that we get asked to find quite regularly are, aren't necessarily the most difficult, even though there might be six people in the world that can do it. And so what do you think um, in the role you're doing now, we were talking earlier about, you know, how do you discover what you're really good at and how do you discover what you really enjoy? And if you can find the, the meeting point of these two things, you never work another day in your life sort of thing. It's, it work becomes like a hobby because you love it so much. So what do you think are the things that you've, you've discovered you're really good at? And what are the things that you found you really enjoy in your role now? And I remember that, that there's a book about that, about, and it talks about flow. Yes. Yeah, in the flow, or in your element, is the, the book I'm reading at the moment by Sir Ken Robinson, which is all about the element, and it's exactly this sort of this point. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, I, I, I'm really interested in that topic, actually. So I've read about that, and it's, it's this 
it's when you're doing things, something that's quite hard. Not everyone can do it, but you've got the skills to do it and, and you can do it well and you get the feedback that it's gone well. And it's that loop of doing something difficult but possible and then getting the feedback. So I, th I think um, I mean, I'm very, I, I'm very um, passionate about, about people and um, working with people to achieve you know, an, a, a desired outcome, whether it's finding a job or whether it's setting up a project or solving a challenge like how to achieve diversity. Uh, or how to make inclusive working environments. It's like, so I, 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 I enjoy like looking at a challenge that I think actually that's possible to solve that with, with some, some work. And I guess then what I'm, I guess what I think I'm good at maybe is, is then just in, is making it happen. I'm very action oriented. Uh, and some people work with me would, would be able to attest to that. If I, if, if I see something that I think is possible we, I'm going to do everything in my power to make it happen, and I won't give up. and And I try and assemble the team and bring this, bring other stakeholders together, and then and then collectively try and deliver something. So I think I've been, I think I've been in my career, in my life, I've been quite good at, at um, bringing people along on on a shared vision of whether it's building a company or setting up a not profit non for profit initiative, or um, you know, or, or or doing a sports event or something. And quite, I can be sometimes quite persuasive, I think, in, in gathering people together and building some excitement towards a vision. And one of those things that you've really stepped into with, with, with Monica and Wangi is this inclusion and diversity in nuclear. So was that something which you felt that, you know, like you were just saying there, if you see it, you know, something and you think you can do something about it, then, you, you know, you're all out for that. Exactly that. So, I mean, my, my entire career is around um, building and sustaining the nuclear workforce. And so I'm always looking for what's the, what's the challenge, what's the need or the challenge related to the workforce, and then how could, what's our role in supporting that. Uh, and obviously, everyone's talking about we want more diversity, we want a more inclusive environment. Um, but there's a lot more talk than, than, than actually moving the action. I wouldn't say there's more talk than action because uh, the, the, there is action, but it's moving the dial. We're not, we haven't, we're not yet moving the dial on some of this work. And so I've, you know, so Monica and I shared the same feeling. Like, um, I think I remember two and a half years ago or so, we were, we were talking together and it just clicked in my head. Are we going to be more people sitting around whinging about not enough going on or are we actually going to do something? And we just both just agreed and, um, and decided to do something about it. So yeah, that's exactly why. I think we, I, I and those around me can play a role in making the industry workforce more inclusive and also diversifying the workforce so we're so we're doing it what are some of the things you're doing i know i've seen some events and that sort of thing well we started off with a networking group um, then we start we've done an annual conference um, where we bring speakers from the field of diversity and inclusion um, not just the best um, we've got within nuclear but but from across industries so our, our conference last year had 500 people signed up. So I think it, as far as I know, it was the biggest event in the nuclear industry in the UK last year, uh, online event. So there's a massive appetite for this. So, so we're really, um, we have a newsletter that runs. We have a workshop tour that we did about how to engage the majority uh, in, the, in the debate about, um, or the work for diversity and inclusion. And that's uh, over a thousand people. Uh, are going through that workshop. It's just the rollout is, is uh, the first phase is coming to a close. 
Um, we facilitated some meetings. We have joined up some stakeholders. So we're we're trying to be this this kind of independent um, actor that that can be the glue and, and and keep momentum going. So so if we see something started, we might join in because we can see that we can actually support that. So we try not to start too many brand new initiatives. We more try and uh, emphasize the good work that's going on or support the initiatives that are doing good and give them a bit more power and a bit more impetus. Um, because I think one of the challenges we have in diversity inclusion is that everyone's trying to do sort of a similar thing. Um, and if we actually work together in a more joined up way, then we could achieve more. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to approach this at an, an industry national level and think what can we do at the national level within the nuclear industry that can move the dial. And how can people get involved in that if they want to? So, the, yeah, the organisation is called Inclusion and Diversity in Nuclear. So IDN will be our acronym. We all like an acronym in the nuclear industry. Um, and the, our website is idnuclear.com. Just all one word, idnuclear.com. Um, yeah, and the, we actually have a sheet on there about how you can get involved. If you're an individual, you may want to write something or contribute to one of our newsletters or, or uh, suggest a, a topic that we can pick up on. If you're an organization, you can become an industry partner um, for, for a year and then fund us to, to do some of the work we're doing around educating and informing people. Um, but like, like all, like all, like not like all, like many well-meaning initiatives, it's, it's massively underfunded. And so if we're putting on a webinar, we want to get people who are experts in this field, which means we, we pay them to come and speak at the webinar. It's work, we're paying experts to come and share their opinions. So, so the, the content we're trying to create is, is taking it from just conversation to the next level, which can sometimes mean challenging conversations and difficult topics, but, but all industries are trying to go through this same journey of creating inclusion um, and, and diversity. So we're, we're trying to share the best practice out there and learn from others so we don't have to do it on, on our own. And that being independent really helps us with that because we can't, you know, we don't, we don't need to shy away from difficult topics because of uh, um, association with certain um, people or organizations we can address head on some of the, the, the challenging topics around uh, around diversity and inclusion so that's what we're trying to do. I, I think it's great and, and, and hopefully Pete will we'll include the uh, the website on uh, at the bottom of the description for the podcast as well so people can click on it uh, easily as well. Um, so I'm just thinking about some of the, you know, we're, we're aimed at sort of talking to young professionals, mostly in the nuclear industry, about their forward careers. What, what do you think would be your advice to young professionals uh, who may have come off a degree or a graduate program or maybe through an apprenticeship into their first full time role in the nuclear industry? And maybe they're sat there thinking, oh, is, is this it for the rest of my, my working life, you know? <laughs> well, it, it probably isn't. Because um, <laughs> I, think, I think a career maybe is longer now than it was before, right? So someone who's 21 starting their career now may be working for, you know, probably will be working for 50 or 60 years. Uh, not, not that I want to make that a depressing thought, but that's why I think it's so important to enjoy, to really enjoy work. And I think it will be common for people to, work and then go back to some education and come back to work and then start a business and then go to work for someone else then go and live in another country there'll be there'll be there'll be more stages to people's careers more chapters to to people's careers i think um i mean i i think the maybe a couple of things i i, I would say is that people i have learned all really want to help and if you ask 
people for support, advice, help, information. If you ask them in the right way, they almost certainly will help. Where, where it kind of goes wrong is if, if people don't ask or if someone asks in a way that isn't understood or is misinterpreted, that's when it can go wrong. So I think it's a really good art to kind of be clear about where you want to go and what you want to achieve and then look at who else has done that. Uh, and with tools now like LinkedIn, finding people, you know, we, we hear a lot about mentoring um, and it, it, it doesn't have to be as scary as, as, you know, entering a formal mentoring program. For me, if I, if I want to learn about, let's say um, Uzbekistan are starting a nuclear energy program, I go to LinkedIn, I'll find someone in Uzbekistan who's involved in nuclear, who's written their profile in English, so they, they speak English, and I'll contact them and say, look, I'm, I, I would really love to have 20 minutes of your time uh, just to ask you a, a couple of things about um, what's happening with the Uzbek nuclear program. So short question, to the point, clear, transparent, and then they, they nearly always come back. And I think that's, that's a quite an obscure example, but it could be, you know, I want to work in fusion. You go to LinkedIn, you'll find hundreds of people in the UK working in fusion. You, you, you email, you, you can message a couple and then maybe one will want to talk to you. So mentoring doesn't have to be a long-term relationship. It could just be a spot call to someone to say, hang on, I, I'm really interested in what you're doing. And most people, they feed off that energy of, oh, you're interested. I'm, I'd like to share my, my, uh, my experience and my knowledge. And I've, I couldn't have started my company and built it to, to where we are now without the help of hundreds of people who have just helped us along the way with information. And maybe, oh, you, wanna, you might want to talk to this person, I'll introduce you. Or, um, yeah, we tried that a couple of years ago and it didn't work and here's why. And, and you know, it's all these little lessons. Um, so I don't feel like I've built my company uh, on my own at all. Um, I feel like it's been a, a, a group effort. And I think it's the same for, for my career. And I think that's the advice for others is that, so everybody, pretty much everybody wants to help. And if you ask them, in, if you ask the right person in the right way, then they're pretty much always going to help. And that could turn into a mentoring relationship. It could become a friend um, or, or maybe not. Maybe it's just a one-off call. Um, but so I, I think kind of tapping into the goodness of human nature to help you get where you want to go is, is what's helped me the most in my career. And I think, and that's why I also help people as much as I can who are starting their careers and just try and join a few dots for them. Maybe a suggestion or a contact or a, you know, a, an organization I know that they might uh, be interested in. There's, you know, there's always something. Um, and, and I think that is getting on that, it's learning, it's learning, it's learning to do that as a habit, uh, to, to seek help and advice and counsel from, the, from, from people along the way. And you don't need to, it doesn't matter with you, with what your background has, has been or where you come from. It's not like you need to be a bright, graduate from Oxford University to do this. It doesn't matter. It, it, every, people just want to help each other, especially, especially uh, I think in uh, now, people are really you know, wanting, wanting there to be more equality and they don't want um, you know, all teams to look the same and sound the same. And, and, and so there is much more openness to be sharing ideas and, and helping people. So I, I think that's something. Oh, that's, that's fantastic advice. Uh, and I can I can feel your passion coming through, you know, as you, as you talk about that, which is which is great too. So I, I just want to take you back to um, what you were saying earlier. Uh, you know, when you were fifteen, uh, acne, low confidence, a difficult time for you. If you could whisper one piece of advice to your younger self in in that moment, what do you think you'd say to them? 
I would say there's a lot of fun ahead. It, there's so much excitement ahead. It's an adventure. People say life is short, but it's actually, you know, it's actually long. And I think in that chapter of my life, it, it did feel, it did feel long, but I would, you know, I, I mean, I'm tempted to say I'd re reassure myself, but it's, you know, I, I think um, it's more than that. It's, it's it, you know, be excited about the future because it's going to be exciting, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's lovely. Sometimes I really wish we could actually do this, <laughs> you know, literally go back and just whisper, you know, these words of encouragement, because you think, you know, there are people out there now who need to hear these bits of encouragement that we would have welcomed at that time. So thanks. Thanks so much for that, Callum. And thank you for your time this morning. It's been great to catch up with you and talk to you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. enjoyed this podcast to help others enjoy it too please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate and review thank you